We thank you for the teaching of the Word of God throughout the fellowship. We pray, our God, for churches as they're gathered together today. Uh, having enjoyed the prayer week, Lord, that you'll encourage us, strengthen the churches, O oh God, throughout the world. We ask your help and give our thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this uh, topic here is the model brother, and the idea is uh, serving together. So, uh, we'll see. Oops. That wasn't, that's, what, that's not what I had in mind. Yeah. Okay. Well, hmm. that's on. One of the problems when you use these things, if you if you leave them the battery on for a couple of months or a month, what was the last time I spoke? It won't work. The battery's dead. Kind of I won't matter. I'll just use this. I can use this. Yeah. Now we're good. All right. First Thessalonians chapter three is where we're going to read today. That's the book we've been in. And I saw this graphic there. I thought I thought it was interesting because you're going to see one of the themes of First Thessalonians is uh, th chapter three is they talk about faith and the importance of faith. And I just happened to run across this on the internet: forwarding all issues to heaven. And um, when we walk by faith, we're not to walk by sight. We're to walk uh, in our confidence that the Lord is aware and knows. And will care for us. And so forwarding all things or all issues to heaven. So uh, reading is uh, chapter 3. I'm reading from the American Standard, New American Standard Version. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would have been in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if, we sta if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we, as we night and day 
Keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So Paul, as he writes, we're reminded of his letter here that he's writing to, um, he's writing to a church that he is very affectionate for. He cares deeply for them, and he's very concerned about them. And we get this sort of uh, described in terms of his desire for them in this chapter. And so it says that they were wanting to come. They were in Athens, and they wanted to come, but they thought it would be best if they stayed behind. Maybe there was a work that was going on as far as the Lord was concerned, or um, there might have been an anticipation that if they come back again, there's going to be even more affliction that's going to happen to them and also to the church. So they were concerned about that. So rather than them coming, they said here in verse 2, we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. I love that verse because Timothy was a young man. Paul and Silas and some of the other brethren, they had been going out and sharing the gospel and doing the work. And here's this young man, Timothy. He had been taught by his mom and his grandmother. And he had an appreciation for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that passion and that concern that he had for the Lord, um, he wanted to serve the Lord. And so you get this title here, Our Brother and God's Fellow Worker. This beautiful thought that when you're involved with the things of the Lord, you're God's fellow worker. That's pretty special. And you get to be a servant of the Lord Jesus. And that's what Timothy was as he went out and spread the gospel and shared. And he, there was a purpose for him for his coming. And that was to strengthen and encourage them as to their, their faith. So he wanted to make sure that they as believers were getting stronger in the Lord. And that should be the purpose when we think of ourselves as maturing in Christ. He writes to the Corinthians and he says to them that you're just babes. You're just babes. But he wanted them to long for that, not just the spiritual milk, but he wanted to be able to go and appreciate the richer things of Christ. So that's what he's thinking here as he, as he prays for and cares for uh, them. So there was a need for encouragement. So let's take a look here at a few things that, that would have come into consideration here in terms of their need for encouragement. One is that they were a relatively new church. They were a lot of new believers. Now remember when, you wrote, when we looked at that first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, it talks to them about how they were uh, turning from idols to the living God and they were uh, imitating other churches. And so they were relatively new. They're just learning these things. You and I, as we've, you know, if we've grown up in the things of the Lord, 
it becomes second nature to us. We're comfortable with it. But if you think about it, when the Apostle Paul and others went out in their missionary work, they're sharing about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and somebody, if they believe that the Lord Jesus Christ came and died for them and got saved, then there's this challenge of being taught, of learning. Well, there's a big difference between a mature disciple and a, and a, and a new disciple. There's got to be a learning process involved. So they were new believers. It was a new church, so there was a lot of learning. And then Paul had been able to stay with them for only a short period of time. Think about, remember, in chapter 1 it talked about he was there for three weekends. So, so that basically a month is all the time that he had to spend with them. And those of us who know we've, we've enjoyed the company of a Lord's servant for a month, and you get the benefit of their teaching, you get the benefit of that, but that's a pretty short period of time. So Paul was concerned about that. They had known persecution as Paul had to leave quickly. So Paul was persecuted, and they had to leave town. And because of that, they, were, they had known persecution, and they had known opposition. So the early church there in Thessalonica, they would have... They would have, yes, turned away from idols. But that doesn't mean the whole community turned away from idols. It means that they turned away from idols. So there's a whole lot of people who still are holding on to those other things and would not have liked them. Because they would have assumed that what they believed would have been in opposition to their religion and their belief. So the early church in Thessalonica would have, would have faced the opposition of unbelievers and idol worshipers. And some were disturbed by seeing the afflictions towards believers. So when they, when they saw what happened to Paul, what do you th think about this. If you're thinking about serving the living God, and now you see the persecution coming, and this person who you valued and cared for, now they're getting beat up and they're getting persecuted, it's going to kind of rattle your cage a little bit. It's going to make you wonder, like, wow, what's, what's going on here? So they would have been disturbed, and that's what the scripture uses that word, disturbed by seeing the affliction uh, that was towards the believers. And then lastly, some were unsure of the purposes of God. So as they thought about what they had been brought into, they thought about the persecution. They saw this leader, this person who was the teacher, have to, be, have to be taken away. They would have wondered about God's purposes. Well, what, how is God in all this? Look at, look at the kind of mess. So Paul was worried about their thinking and about the concern that they had as they wrote. And, and yet, he, this is what he writes to them in verse 4. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we, were going to, that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. So he takes them back and reminds them, Now, when we were with you, what did we tell you? We told you that we were going. So there must have been a word that came out of Thessalonica to Paul down in Athens saying, You know, the Thessalonians are really... They're really wondering about all this affliction. They're wondering about what happened, etc. So Paul's anxious for them. That's why he sends Timothy back. We've got to make sure that we send back this message. 
And so in this letter, he writes, and I, I think this is, this is really interesting to me because this verse seems to be this personal insight and personal care that Paul has for this particular church because he's writing to them and saying, now look, when we were with you, we, we kept telling you in advance that that's what was going to happen, that we were going to suffer affliction. And sure enough, it came to pass. And you know, so you know what happened. So don't, don't be upset about it. Don't be disturbed about it. It's one of the things that we knew was going to happen. It's one of the things that happens in life. And sometimes I think for us, as we go through experiences of life, sometimes we have to stop and we have to go back and think about it and wonder, okay, you know, did God promise me this rose garden? Did God promise me this journey without a bump in the road? And then we finally say, no, that's not the case. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world with sin. We live in a world with difficulties. What he has challenged us to do is how are we going to overcome that? How are we going to deal with it? What's our attitude going to be as we go through life? Because he tells us in advance. He, the Lord Jesus, tells us in advance. If the world hated me, it'll hate you. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. So as we believe, as believers, we're going to face rejection. We're going to face people that just don't get it and don't understand it, and don't, and don't believe it. So, this is really, what they received back in Athens was the first report card. The first report card from the church in Thessalonica. And the report card was good news, that their faith was strong. So, Timothy he goes there, he gets the message, and now he takes it back, and then the letter comes back again through Timothy to the church. And so he has this report card as to how they're doing. And report cards can be very stressful. Tina is going to go through a test tomorrow, and she has to go through and answer lots of questions. And uh, sometimes when I think of some of the questions, she's going for her citizenship. So that's pretty exciting. And um, when I think of some of those questions, I was telling her that there's probably a lot of us Americans who live here. If we were asked those questions with the, there's a, uh, and the slightest idea, especially when she started talking about, you know, when we talk about the kinds of government we have or whatever, we all know those answers. But we're ta talking about sort of like who was president or something during the Second World War or whatever. It's like, whoa, uh, got to think about these things. So, <laughs> so, the, so there's lots of questions that can come up. Well, well, when the report card comes back, it's always good to see how you're doing. Um, we would always want to see how our kids were doing. I think we're really challenged today in society. I'm a little concerned about it, actually. Um, back when we were younger, we would have a report card. And the report card was A, B, C, D, F, right? If you didn't do good, if you were really bad, and you didn't know anything, you got an F. 
Now today, they want to do away with F because that could hurt somebody's feelings. And so you have this movement away which says, well, we just kind of need to see if you're a participant. I don't know if you've seen that trophy. I don't know if you see that commercial on the TV. I, I laugh at it every time. But this soccer team, the little kids, they won this tournament. They won the tournament. They were champions. And they got a trophy just like everybody else had said participant. Because they didn't want to say, you know, this team is first. They're, they're the champions, and these guys are in second place. Oh, no, they're just a participant. We've... That's, that's an unhealthy situation for us. There are issues about evaluation that uh, we need to be honest about. And uh, in this particular case, it was good news. Their faith was strong. Their love was being shown. And it was being shown to one another. So there, there was a church that had affection and love for each other. And that was a good, that was a good statement. They thought of the apostles in a kindly way. Now, we might say, well, we would just take that for granted. If we think about a Lord's servant, next week we'll have Phil Brennan with us. Well, we think of Phil Brennan in a very kindly way. Well, we think of Lord's servants in a kindly way. But back then, there were some challenges. And uh, when Paul would come and bring a message which would lay down the law about some things, there were some who would oppose him. And Paul says, I'm coming to you and opposing, opposing this person face to face because I want to bring the truth. I want to bring the word of God. So he was appreciative of the fact that those in Thessalonica, they thought of the apostles in a kind way. And they were looking forward to seeing them. They were anxious, anxious to see the apostles. And of course, Paul says, you're anxious to see us, and, and we're really anxious to see you. We want to see you face to face. But there were some challenges in that. And therefore, it says Paul was com comforted by their faith. So as he went through and laid out these issues and listened to uh, the report that came back from Timothy, he was really encouraged as he thought about the the saints there. And when we hear about other churches and how they're doing, we're encouraged by that too. And that's a blessing. And so we should be thankful for good reports. And we should be thankful when people leave here and take a good report. Because it's an encouraging thing. And we know that we've had brethren who have come here and enjoyed their time and they've gone back to Ontario and they said that we just loved our time in Colorado. And we ask ourselves, well, why is that the case? Because you guys are the ones who have shown love to others. And when you show love to others, it's meaningful. It has an impact. And it encourages us. And so Paul then was comforted by their faith. And then you get this phrase. This is verse 8 of this chapter 3. And now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. I wondered what that really meant, and I went to commentators to kind of look to see what that was. And it was difficult to find. You see the word really, it's italicized. It's italicized in the New American Standard, which what it means is that it's not really there. Yeah, 
excuse the pun, really is not really there. Um, so it says, now, for now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Well, when you go and you look at the word live, there's a variety of definitions for live and how it's used. It's, it's the word zao, Z-A-O in the Greek. And if you go to Strong's, it tells you on that particular verse that the thought behind that word live is the enjoyment of physical life. So Paul is down in Athens. He's concerned about what's going on with the church in Thessalonica. And as he thinks about the various churches, and he, and he thinks about how they're standing firm in the, in the Lord, that causes them to just enjoy physical life. They're just happy about it. They're not they're upset. They're not worried. They're not overwhelmed. They're just really delighted. Uh, and so that is the thought by, for how we really live. We can, we can actually live it up because you're enjoying the things of the Lord. And that's how we should be. As we think about each other, we should really live. Enjoy life and the things that God has given to us. And so that's what they was doing. So then you get laid out here this prayer, and there's, a, there's an aspect of thanksgiving and prayer here as far as the apostles are concerned. And he goes through, and these are the, some of the things that are listed. He gives thanks for their faithfulness. Paul was afraid when he, when he sent back somebody to the Thessalonica church, are they still holding on to their faith? Are they still back there doing the things that we want them to do? And so uh, he was thankful that they were faithful. And they give thanks for the joy they bring. So they, they bring in their assembly joy. Joy to the apostles and joy to others. And then they're thankful that they could rejoice. Rather than looking at the situation and thinking, wow, that's terrible. Now we all know how sad that is when we think of an assembly closing down. It's just a, a, a sad, sad situation. And uh, Paul would not have wanted that. In fact, Paul was concerned, literally concerned, that we're not sure about the faith of those. Are they, are they hanging in there together? Remember, you and I live in the day and age of instant communication. Right? So that if we want to talk with somebody, we can actually use a phone. Now, most people don't talk on the phone anymore. But you can actually use a phone to talk on, and you could talk to somebody in Nigeria and see how your, how your family's doing, communicate with them over there. Or you could use um, instant messenger, or you could use the uh, phones to do Skype back and forth, and you could look at each other and see each other. And it's instantaneous. Well, when you're down in Athens during these days, and the church is up in Thessalonica, uh, you, you're not getting much communication back and forth. And so it's taking a long time. So when we read these letters, it, for us, it's this letter, we think of it sort of in the sense of our own thinking of instantaneous kind of communication, but that's not the case. It would have taken a while. So that's why they're really thankful that they can rejoice that the church is there and they're carrying on. And then he says, we are praying. And we're praying for you day and night. That is a tremendous statement of commitment. 
praying for somebody day and night. I find that very hard to do. To be so committed for somebody to pray for them day and night. And to make that kind of commitment would not be an easy thing to do. And then he says, praying that they might see them face to face. That was one of the challenges that, that Paul had. He wanted to actually go to Thessalonica and he wanted to see them face to face. He wanted to have this personal experience. That's why it's very clear here that he really enjoyed the Thessalonian church. And then he said, praying that they might complete that which was lacking in the Thessalonians' faith. Now, this statement is really quite interesting. Hard to understand in some ways. Praying that they might complete that which was lacking in the Thessalonians' faith. So Paul wants to complete something. So I've thought about this quite a bit, trying to figure out, what is that? What was lacking in their faith? Um, I mean, he wrote to them, and he said that he, he was thankful that they were faithful. He was thankful that they were showing love one another, etc. So what's, what was lacking in their faith? Well, I think there's two possibilities. And maybe you can share with me what you think. Two possibilities. And the first one is, it's their understanding of the Lord's coming. Now, if you go into Bible commentaries... And, and look into this, quite often you're going to find this is the thing that they'll point out, uh, at least the commentaries that I saw. And that is that there was a lack of understanding of the Lord's coming. We, we had a thought of that this morning. Francis brought us the thought of the Lord's coming. And uh, you get two aspects of the Lord's coming in the book of 1 Thessalonians. You get it in chapter 4, which we're going to get to eventually, and also you get it in chapter 5. But you get two different kinds of terminologies in, in, in those. And also, um, so you get this scripture in verse 13, which says, At the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. That's what you get in verse 13. And then when you compare that with chapter 4, 13 to 18, you get this terminology that says, and the Lord himself shall descend. So the Lord himself is coming. Now, let's take a look at Zechariah chapter 14. So turn your Bibles. Now, you're going to say, where in the world is Zechariah? Now, Zechariah is right before the last book of the Old Testament. So it's the second to the last book of the Old Testament. So Zechariah chapter 14 And we'll just read the first nine verses. But you'll notice some terminologies here that you'll begin to recognize. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the, spoil, when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. 
and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from the east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains for the valley of the mountains will reach to Ezel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. In that day there will be no light the luminaries will divide, for it will, be a it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and the other half towards the western sea, and it will be summer as well as winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth, in that day, the Lord will be one, will be the only one, and his name, the only one. So you get this picture here <clears throat> in Zechariah of the Lord coming, and his feet is going to land on the Mount of Olives. And when that happens, it is split. You'll notice in the first verse, it says, Behold, the day is coming for the Lord um, when the spoil is taken from you. So it speaks of the day of the Lord. If you get to chapter 5 of Thessalonians, you get the same terminology, the same, the, the, the day of the Lord. But in uh, verse 13, you do get at the coming of the Lord with all his saints. So that's similar to the, to the topic of, uh, of Zechariah. So it is suggested that the writer here may be alluding to Zechariah 14, when, um, they, when they wrote verse 13 of this uh, letter. So, so there's concern about whether or not they really understand how the coming of the Lord is going to take place. Because we know that if you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, you get this sense that the Lord himself will come. And those, we thought about this morning, those that are dead shall Rise, we that are alive shall rise up together to meet them in the air, to be forever with the Lord. And it doesn't talk about the Lord coming and putting his feet on Mount Olives in chapter 4. But chapter 5, and also Zechariah, you get the second aspect of his coming when he comes back in all power. Or is it possible, or is it possible that what he's writing about here, that what's lacking in their faith, Paul says about his prayer. He's saying, he's praying that they'll increase and abound in love for one another. So he's, he acknowledged that they loved, they were showing love toward another. But he, now he says, I want to see you increase and abound in your love for one another. But not only that, you need to make sure that you have a love for all people. So for people that are outside, people that may not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, people who are your neighbors and your friends, you ought to demonstrate your love towards them because they need the Lord Jesus. And then he says that your hearts may be established without blame and holiness before God. So you've got this aspect here about uh, holiness. Now in chapter 4, the first part of chapter 4, you're going to get this instruction about how God's people need to be holy. And they need to be blameless before the Lord. 
So he's going to give them instructions about that. He's praying for them, but now he's going to give them instructions that their heart may be established without blame. And fourthly, that they may be right before God at the coming of the Lord Jesus. So he wants them to be uh, right before the Lord. He wants them to be anticipating the Lord's coming. So that's what he was praying for them. So I'm not sure exactly which one of those is the, the real aspect, or is it both? That he's turning around and saying to them, look, we need to make sure that we live and anticipate the coming of the Lord. And we need to understand what that means. But at the same time, while we're living in the anticipation of that, I want you to make sure that you're getting ready for the Lord's coming. I want you to be prepared. And so, um, so maybe it's both. It'll be interesting to hear what, if anybody has an idea on that. So <clears throat> I put this little graphic together, participating as God's fellow worker. So Paul is one of God's fellow workers, and Timothy. And what, I'm, what I was thinking about here was how did they work as God's fellow workers? And we're going to just look, look at one aspect of it. And that is the aspect of prayer. So that <clears throat> everything should start with prayer. If you're going to be God's fellow worker, you need to start with prayer. Because going out and launching into doing something without prayer is not a very wise thing to do. It could end up really backfiring and not going too well. And then you're back in the question mark about what's the purposes of God and why didn't this work? So we need to make sure that we launch, first of all, prayer. And we need to anticipate. Anticipate what to pray for and to anticipate what are our, what are we asking for. So there needs to be an anticipation. And in anticipation is a demonstration of faith. We need to be demonstrating our, in our prayer our faith. So we need to be anticipating as we come to the Lord in prayer. And then we're caused to wait and to watch. Waiting on the Lord in prayer is a very important thing. Because our timing and God's timing may be different. And we have to be careful that we may be burdened about something, truly. We may be anticipating that, that this is what God has laid upon our heart. But we may have to wait on the Lord to get an answer. And we, at the same time, we ought to be watching because God does answer. And when he answers us, we ought to be thrilled at what he has to say. And therefore, we need to make sure that in everything we give thanks. So when we come into prayer, we always give thanks. And whether or not we've had this fulfilled or that fulfilled, whatever it is, we need to give thanks, and it draws us back into prayer again. So we spend time in prayer. So... In order to be God's fellow worker, we need to be a willing servant. If you're not a willing servant, then, then, then there's not much benefit to that. Being a willing servant, as far as God is concerned, is really vital, isn't it? When we get to, when we get to say to the Lord out of a free heart, yes, Lord, I want to serve you. That's what he wants from us. He wants a willing servant. If you're a king, I was thinking... I don't know if you noticed this when you were reading through, I think, the book of Kings. When the Queen of Sheba came up to see Solomon, 
And she came up to see his grand um, building and the temple and all the rest of that. One of the things she said was, I've now come and I get to see your servants. And I get to see it was basically the attitude of your servants, how they're delighted to serve you. That was powerful to her. Now, the reason being is because, and, and you'll know this if you, if you work in an office or if you happen to be a boss, you'll know this a lot. If you have somebody who comes and they're a willing employee, and they say, hey, Don, I wonder if we could do such and such, you know, would that, would that be all right? Could we try this out and see what it works? That, that kind of attitude is just refreshing. Instead of walking into the person saying, okay, here, here's what I want you to do. Oh, well, when, when do you want that done? Because I got this to do over here, and I got this. So when do you want that done? That's not the kind of attitude you want. But that's what happens a lot in the workplace. That's why I say, when the Lord looks at us and he sees a willing servant, it's a delight to the Lord. It's a delight to him. And that's what he wants us to be like. Then we must be a listening servant. Because that's how we learn. We listen. We listen to the Lord through his word, and we listen to each other and the needs that we might have. And in the process of the willingness and the process of listening, it drives us to prayer, things that we should do. We need to be a loving servant because without love, you're just a clanging brass. So we need to be a loving servant because that is the foundation of what drives our motivation and all that we do. And that results and an effective servant. If you want to be an effective servant, you just turn your will over to the Lord. You spend time listening to him and to the needs of others. And if you genuinely love as the Lord has asked us to love, there's going to be an effective use of your, of your servanthood. So um, anyway, so those are a few thoughts that I had from uh, chapter 3. I think that the, the church in Thessalonica would have been uh, thrilled to have gotten this letter of such a, a, an intimate, caring way that Paul had for them. And for us, it's good instruction. Good instruction for us to take a look and say, well, what's the, re what's the report card on my life? You know, how's it going to look? And uh, hopefully there'll be, there'll be moments of good news. So we'll just give thanks for our study together and ask the Lord's blessing. Our Father, we give our thanks. We appreciate our time together today. Thank you very much for Paul's letter. There's such instruction in it. Help us, our God, to just humble our own minds and hearts and, and to appreciate uh, what was said and what was written. We ask that you'll guide us and direct us, that we might appreciate the Lord Jesus more and more that we might become an effective servant, one our God who loves the Lord Jesus. And so we ask for your help, Lord. It's not easy. We're, we're all busy. We have lots going on. But we ask for your encouragement, Lord, just to honor you. So we give our thanks and ask your blessing in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.